Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty, the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to be and do and live and love in their bodies. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Thank you so much for joining us for season two, the season of Survivors. Today, we have another survivor across the microphone. Her name is Liv, and Liv is a survivor of an eating disorder, or actually the way she describes it in the interview is a quasi-eating disorder. We had this great conversation about how hard it is sometimes to step into our own truth because we feel like we haven't manifested as the, the most extreme version of that, and so we kind of don't have a right to the title. It's, it's a great conversation, I think, that will really resonate with many of you. Liv is also a survivor of multiple miscarriages. She talks so vulnerably about how she had tied her sense of self and her identity in the world to the reality that she was going to be a mother and how much grief she had when it didn't work out the way that she had planned. Of course, compounded by the grief of the multiple miscarriages. She also does a beautiful job talking about her healing, the way that the people around her play a role in that, the way she understands now that her healing, well, actually her suffering first and then her healing has really given her a sense of purpose in the world. I am hopeful you'll find something for yourself today in Liv's words. So let's drop in and hear from Liv. So this is Liv. Liv, um, Liv and I don't actually really know each other that well. Um, but we kind of run in similar circles. So I've seen some of Liv's work on just in general. I've seen her on Facebook. I like all the stuff she's about. And I know that she has a story of survival, so I wanted to invite her to the podcast. So thanks for saying yes. yes. Thanks for having me. Sarah. Absolutely. Um, so let's start out. I'm curious to hear what you think about what it means to be a survivor. Yes. I think a survivor is someone who goes through something hard mm-hmm. and comes out alive. Yeah. And I actually haven't listened to, I have all of your podcasts on my little roll of things to listen to. I'm always behind on my podcast <laughs> listening, but I was excited to just um, talk about this from a really raw place. Like I haven't heard other people's answers on that. And yeah. um, I know you're big on empowering people with their stories and mm-hmm. I also love hearing people's stories and I love encouraging people to share them because whether or not it's something they might see as huge or not, they've been through something and they've survived and they've come out alive. And I think you can't go through something hard and come out weaker. Mm -hmm. I think you always come out stronger. Yeah. And that's going to look different ways for each child, but I think... I think we're all survivors. Mm-hmm. We are. You said um, alive, and I, when you said it, the way you said it, it's always interesting to me to tape a podcast. I have the advantage of sitting across physically from a person, and and we tell a lot in our stories by the way that we hold ourselves and say certain words and things. Mm-hmm. So when you said alive, you come out alive, the way that you said it indicated to me that you weren't just talking about a heart beating or taking breath mm-hmm. still. It's like you meant more by the word. It felt mm-hmm. like you come out alive. Mm-hmm. Did you mean more by the word? Not just heart beating, taking breath, but maybe more than that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it can shape you and make you mm-hmm. 
a more alive, more mm -hmm. you version of yourself, a more just a, a more alive version of yourself, right? Yeah. Because you realize I'm human and I just lived through that. Like yeah. I think about war, right? As survivor, that image comes to mind. Someone coming out of war, but we all have these battles that we go through in our life and we mm -hmm. come out and maybe parts of us have died, right? In the process, like yeah. parts of us that needed to burn off and we're, yeah. we're more us. We're more alive, so. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love that parts of us needed to burn off and that made us more alive. Mm -hmm. I've been talking a lot about, it's been a huge thing for me right now, this idea of unbecoming, that I'm unbecoming things I'm not. Mm. Um, and it feels like it is, it, you know, in our, in our normal narrative, we associate loss with less than, so I get less of something. But this unbecoming thing is giving me more of me. It's like this inverse math. Yeah. I don't completely understand it. I don't actually need to, but um, suffering for me or loss or surviving has almost always turned out that way. Mm -hmm. You know, like I end up with more on the other side of it. Yes. And you don't always feel it in the process. When you're going through loss and suffering, no. you feel alone, you feel oppressed, you feel all these dark, terrible, scary things. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's always in that coming out, like that crawling out yeah. where you can look back and see, oh, wow, that relationship came out of that. Or, oh, my marriage was made stronger because of that. Or, right. okay, I gained this from that. I'm so thankful I wouldn't change it. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I just think it's powerful what yeah. we go through. Me too. That's why we're telling it. Yeah, that's right. So, um, that's a perfect segue. So, uh I'm going to kind of let you have the floor here to tell your own story of survival. Um, I'm happy to kind of guide as we move through, but really I want you to share what is on you to share. Yeah. Well, a couple of things come to mind when I think of survival. Mm -hmm. um, the, the key things that I feel like I've lived through that were really hard mm -hmm. are my parents getting divorced when I went to college. They had always said they never would and... That was the first first earth-shattering experience I ever lived through. So that leads me to my second story of survival, I guess, which is, so I was 18, I was a freshman in college, and I was doing some modeling for this agency in Chicago. I went to a Christian Wheaton College in mm -hmm. Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I was working um, at this agency, and my parents had just, you know, their marriage fell apart, and I was trying to become someone that I wasn't. I was trying to become a size I wasn't. I was mm -hmm. trying to fit in in this modeling world, um, but also in this academic world, I just felt like crazy imposter syndrome, like I shouldn't be here. Um, anyway, I developed an eating disorder mm -hmm. of sorts. Um, it wasn't severe enough to where I was debilitated from life, mm -hmm. but it was, it very much controlled my thoughts and I was grasping for control in my life, right? With yeah. my parents losing that, you know, their marriage in my life. And then, um, just really, really wanting success in this area that I didn't need to be successful to be worthy. And yet at 18, I thought I did. So do you think that's, so I'm thinking about how much we, I, we associate who we are with our family of origin and then this yes. huge shift. And there's going to be a natural shift at 18 anyway, because you're generally, leaving right mm -hmm. but then the, the idea that the home to come home to is not the same home yes right 
So then you have this major shift in identity, and I think it's really common then to go, if not that, then who am I? Yes. And at Absolutely. 18, surround it. So tell me, how the, how did the modeling thing become a thing? Well, okay, so it actually kind of started in high school. So junior year of high school, this random scout at a mall in Chicago mm-hmm. just said, hey, you should come to New York with us and get scouted and see if it, you know, it's if it's for you. So I was super flattered and yeah. just... Totally. It was so out of the blue. I'm like small town Illinois girl. Yeah. And so I went on this trip with my dad and long story short, I just got an, a contract with an agency in Chicago mm-hmm. um, because New York wanted me to lose weight on my hips and it just was not happening. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, in the meantime, go, go to this casting call in Chicago. And so I started that in high school and I do think that's where the negative body image just, it really started because mm-hmm. they're like, you could be a rock star if blah, blah, blah. You could go to Paris and Milan. And I just had stars in my eyes about success in this in this area that I had never even wanted success in. Right. But, but the allure of that. The allure of that. And someone yeah. saying, oh, you should do this. Mm-hmm. You could be amazing if mm-hmm. you lost two inches off of your hips or whatever. So, So I became just really obsessed with working out and... I think I try. I stayed in that healthy range, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just kind of started going downhill, and mm-hmm. my parents' marriage um, is the word dissolution. You yeah. know where it just yeah. dissolved. It was a, a slow no, thing. Dissolution. Yeah. It was gradual. So I think I was really starting to wrestle and grapple with what was happening mm-hmm. there, and then also, yeah, that transition to college and just. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What am I going to do with my life? All of those things were just <laughs> being thrown out and mm-hmm. I was scared. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I just got sucked into this, this dark place. And yeah, so I'm trying to think back how I, how I survived that. I think the Lord really protected me from getting sucked in so deep. I remember like trying to throw up multiple mm-hmm. times and I never could like mm-hmm. I would stick things on my throat like toothbrush and it just would not happen mm-hmm. and I think my body just like needed you know I would binge on whatever it was almost like my body just like like took it Hold in on to it yes. sucked it up so would you I know that I know I know that you aren't necessarily ready to classify it but was the behavior more anorexic behavior yes okay yep so just severe calorie restriction and lots of working out. Tons of exercise. Yeah, yeah. exercise. Anorexia is one of it's it's one of the most insidious ways because we go, well, what do you mean it's healthy for me to work yes. out? There's nothing wrong with me. And our culture out. very it's a way to safely yes have an eating disorder yes. and and right. maybe no one knows and people think you're so healthy and yeah because you live at the gym. Yes. What can be wrong with living at the gym? <laughs> exactly. Right. Except that you probably were operating in a state of constant calorie deficit. Yeah. Yeah. Did your body respond? Like, were you um, thin enough? Were you ever I, thin enough? Yeah. I mean, I I probably got down, you know, 15, 20 pounds under where my happy weight is. Oh, yeah. That's where where yeah. I should be. And mm-hmm. um, the modeling agency loved it. And I think I... I knew that it was not the lifestyle that I wanted long-term, but I didn't know really how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so one night I drank this diet water from Walgreens. It was like, it would burn calories. I don't, and there was a thing, such yeah. as diet water. Yeah. And I think I recall diet water. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was loaded with caffeine. I think that that's how it burned 
Oh, I'm sure it had lots of things in it. That lots were not of things. Good None of them good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I started to get this numbness sensation, mm. and it started to go days on end where I couldn't really feel my like food going in. I my whole entire body, and so. I actually had my sister take me to the emergency room. She was a senior at college. I was a freshman. And they just gave me an anti-anxiety. They're like, oh, we can't find anything wrong, but you can go see this neurologist. He couldn't find anything wrong. You know, you didn't, I don't have MS. It wasn't classic anything. They couldn't put their finger on it. Mm-hmm. And, wow, I haven't talked about this in a long time. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. It's an honor, though, really. Thank you. You could take your time with it, too. Yeah, so I think... Um, a doctor eventually said, hey, I think your electrolytes are out of balance. Mm-hmm. And that totally made sense to me. I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to ruin my life. This is not who I am. Like, I know I was created for more, and I know that modeling is not going to fulfill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not what I want to do with my life. It's not... I don't need that to be worth something. And so at the cafeteria at Wheaton, it's all you can eat. So your meals are all like you just pay a credit and you can eat anything. And so little by little, I think I just started to loosen my grip on the eating disorder, (laughs) loosened its grip on me as I pursued truth and I pursued the Lord. And I started dating my husband who would speak truth over me. He... Mm -hmm. Um, things that were really contrary to everything the modeling world or different people I might look to for attention would say. I mean, he was like, I don't even want to see those pictures. That's not who you are. That's not the joyful, full of life girl that I know you to be. And Mm -hmm. um, those truths just started to to set me free. Mm -hmm. And so another really key thing that helped me in my survival journey with that was I started attending this exercise class at Wheaton called, um, I don't know if it was called holy yoga, but it was essentially Christian yoga, Mm -hmm. okay? And the teacher was just this absolutely gorgeous uh, Puerto Rican woman who ran marathons, and she had this big curly hair and just the most beautiful smile you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And she would speak truth Mm -hmm. um, through our practice as we would stretch and I just remember tears like streaming down my face as we, you know, the mirrors are in there. It gives me the chills right now. Um, You know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I would look in the mirror and look at the hips that I used to just despise. Yeah. And I would, I was like, no, this is, these are the hips I was meant to have. Yeah. I'm not going to have that surgery to get my hip bones shaved down. Like, I can't believe I even considered that, you know, and. And at the end in Shavasana, she would walk around and massage our heads and mm-hmm. just remind us that we're beautiful. And I just would have tears streaming down my eyes. And it was just this healing balm mm-hmm. on that journey. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, those classes. So many women report, and women of a wide number of faith practices, mm-hmm. report that yoga is this intersection of healing you know that um I just sat with somebody this morning who is a she's a I mean she has a doctorate in theological studies she's a pastor's wife she's a deeply Christian woman and she said she talked about kundalini yoga and she said 
it was so uncomfortable for me because the tradition of it is so far from what I've been told is okay. She yeah. said, it, it, but whatever happened in there healed me. It, mm-hmm. And she said, and I realized it was the same. It was, we were talking about the same spirit that's mm-hmm. moving to tell you things like, um, you are fearfully and wonderfully made mm-hmm. and having that match up with, with what you see in the mirror. Yes. It's, uh, there is something about the practice of yoga and I think it's it has something to do with the fact that we are embodied in it. Like we are, you can't be completely in your head yes. when you practice yoga. Mm-hmm. You have to be at least paying attention to where your hand placement is, right? Yeah. And we spend so much of our lives disembodied yeah. that it's very, very difficult to look in a mirror and understand uh, good, holy things about ourselves because we're not in our bodies very often. Yes. And, and the yoga breath us, work yeah, too to puts you in your body. calm your brain, yeah. all that activity that's cluttering our minds and all the messages that we're getting from billboards and yep. just everywhere in the media, social media, and it's this disconnection from the noisy world around us yep. where we can settle into truth. And um, so I want to come back to that because holy yoga plays a really key part in okay. uh, my story awesome. after that. So... Um, College progressed, and I continued to just get healthier. My modeling agency totally dumped me, which was, it was okay. You know, it was hard, but it, it needed to happen because I didn't fit their 34, 24, 34 mold anymore. Hmm. Um, and I knew for so long exactly my measurements, and then I just stopped. I stopped measuring myself. I stopped obsessing over the scale. I got rid of my scale. You know, just true freedom yeah. um, followed that. And that was that was incredible. And that was such a, a healing thing for me. And it was, it really strengthened my faith because it was me experiencing, I guess, coming out of that trial, right? Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. My parents, you know, our family was still messy, but I was like, wow, I've really been delivered, I feel like, from this, yeah. this battle. And so, um, and healing always, I think, continues through our life Mm -hmm. from those really deep things. So I think there are still times where I'll notice an unhealthy thought and think, Mm -hmm. okay, no, I'm not going to let that, that mindset creep back in. Um, so fast forward, got married really young, 21. Mm. Um, (laughs) that is young. Yes. We decided to start a family, um, when I was 20. I think we were super excited to have kids and have a lot of them and um I had always kind of wondered if my eating issues would affect my fertility but I thought "Eh, we're young we're healthy it's fine Mm -hmm. and we got pregnant right away actually and I think we were just super super naive again it's almost like I was back. I mean, I was still so young when you yeah. when you think about it. So. Oh, that's really young. Yeah, <laughs> super young. But we don't feel that way at the time. No, not you, at all. And you only know you only know what you're talking about later. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you just there's no there's no substitute for time and age. In that. Exactly. Just not. Yeah. So we ended up. Um, we had almost made it through the first trimester. Went in for an appointment, and they couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. Um, with the Doppler, so they sent us for an ultrasound, and we found out that our first baby's heart had stopped beating. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
they treated it, you know, no big deal. It's a miscarriage. A lot of people have them, but it was crushing. I mean, we, I had all my eggs in this basket of being a stay-at-home mom and writing books. And I, I just had my life mapped out the way I wanted it to look. And that totally threw me off kilter. And, um, that started a really intense battle with recurrent loss. Um, so we went on to lose six babies through miscarriage. Wow. Um, six in a row. <laughs> and it was unexplained. Um, they were all in the first trimester, but still crushing, you know, it's still alive and still, um, yeah, we just didn't know if we would ever be able to have children. So after our third miscarriage, we started pursuing adoption. We knew we uh, wanted to adopt at some point anyway. So we pursued domestic adoption and a week before our birth mom was going to be induced. So birth mommy shows us um, through our agency and we're, you know, at this point we're a couple years into our journey of wanting to be parents, not parents yet. I had actually quit my job, um, my full-time job, because I would get really sick with each pregnancy. So I was very much floundering, trying to find my identity, my purpose. Because you had just, I mean, you had mapped out that it was going to be a stay-at-home mom. Yes. Right. And I, I wanted to write these books that were inspiring and filled with courage and actually about body image stuff because mm. I had come out of that and I wanted to share that message of hope. Yeah. And I was in this, I guess I can say now, probably depression. Yeah. And I couldn't write the way I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to write like Sark. Do you know her? She's yes. an author. Yeah. She's just vibrant, and she handwrites her books, and they're colorful and beautiful. And I was like, that's what I want to do for Christians, I guess, and write on body image. And I just couldn't. So so this birth mom decided to change her mind and let the birth dad's parents adopt the baby. Oh, my God. So we get a call from the social worker thinking, your baby's born. And she's like, I have something that you're not going to want to hear. And... Oh, my God. So we're like, okay, Lord, are we not supposed to be parents at all? What is going on, you know? Yeah, And so that was after our third miscarriage. Well, I was blogging through our journey, and I wrote this blog called The Little Phone Call, One Little Phone Call That Can Change Everything. And a girl saw that post. Um, She reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, can we get together? It was an old friend. She was in the high school youth group of this ministry we had served in. Mm -hmm. And um, she came over, we hung out for like an hour, and at the end of our time hanging out, she's like, actually why I wanted to hang out is because I saw your blog post and I'm 20 weeks pregnant and I was wondering if you and Kevin would adopt the baby. Wow. And I was just blown away. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I've been wanting to ask you this whole pregnancy, but I knew... I knew you were adopting the other baby, and I I just didn't feel like I could ask you, but this whole time I felt like this was your baby. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the birth dad wasn't in, in her life, and she actually had another kid and knew how hard it is to mm-hmm. raise a child. And um, so, yeah, we said yes, <laughs> and I got to attend all of her appointments, and it was almost like I got to experience mm-hmm. being pregnant, you know, and mm-hmm. I got to hold her hand while she pushed him out into this world. And, wow. Um, yeah, so that's how I became a mom, through adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so we continued 
on with loss. We lost um, our fifth and sixth babies after he was born, um, shortly after. <clears throat> and Still without explanation. Still without explanation. I was seeing specialists and different doctor's offices and just grappling for answers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to back up and tell you that after our first loss and I had quit my job, mm-hmm. I got a nanny job, but I also started pursuing a yoga certificate. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting my 200-hour holy yoga certification, Mm -hmm. and I started teaching. Mm -hmm. And that was so beautiful for me on that journey of darkness and just pain and unknowns. I had this safe place on my mat where I could pray and cry and Mm -hmm. just work through these physical things that were plaguing me and um tell me a little bit about that how did the grief store in your body yeah because it had to have our trauma stores there I mean it does yeah I think I mean hip openers and yeah different poses would totally evoke emotion yeah for me hip openers too yes I used to in the first year I practiced yoga I'd ball and pigeon yes I would just I don't know why but I would just weep in this posture (laughs) yes and it was weird because I'm not a crier particularly, but I'm like, why am I sobbing? It's not because it hurts. It just pulled something yes. from inside of me. Child's pose yeah. um, was just this beautiful place of refuge yeah. for me. Yeah. And yeah, so all it was just this really, it was this gift to mm-hmm. me looking back. Um, I don't think I would have taken time away from being a mom or whatever had I had that first baby to mm-hmm. go and get certified. And so I've been teaching now for almost 11 years. Um, so I, so teaching yoga helped, helped me process that pain. It helped me lead other people Mm -hmm. and give some purpose to, you know, what I was going through. And, um, so I became a mommy, took little Colton, Mm -hmm. um, in 2012. And then, we got pregnant. So I met someone through the holy yoga community on one of these phone calls, one of our training calls. Mm -hmm. And she was an acupuncturist and she was talking about just natural health and Mm -hmm. fertility, et cetera. And I set up a phone call with her. I'm like, what should I do? What is happening? I'm actually five weeks pregnant with our seventh baby. And I've never carried a, a baby to term. And what do you think? And she's like, well, in Chinese medicine, we look at your tongue. Send me a picture of your tongue. So I, I texted her a picture of my tongue. She's like, oh, honey, like you need to get to an acupuncturist right away. And I'm going to get you on this herbal tincture. And she's like, your blood quality and quantity does not look good to me. Mm-hmm. So I started. How crazy is that that they diagnosed you looking at the upper, <laughs> upside and the underside of your tongue? Yes. But that's real. They do. And they, they tell you all blood. sorts of really true things based on the... I've been to an acupuncturist okay. who said, stick out your tongue. Yes. And now I need to stay underneath it. Yes. And then she did a bunch of things that yes. healed me. Crazy. Yeah, so I, I did acupuncture twice a week for a couple weeks and then every week for till I was 20 weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we carried little Miss Annabelle Hope all the way through, and she's beautiful and healthy and five years old. And awesome. So we've got those two, and then um, we didn't know if it would take us three years again to have a baby. So when she turned one, we started trying for another child, and um, we... Did all the same things. I was taking a baby aspirin. We did all the acupuncture, and um, we conceived and, and brought our little Calvin Micah into the world, who is just such a little joy. 
So, as we, I mean, now I feel like I have this little quiver full of, just like a house full of pitter-pattering feet and giggles and craziness yeah. <laughs> to the chaos. So it's five, you know, how old does it Oh, so six, almost seven, five, mm-hmm. and three. three. Mm-hmm. And then I'm actually, as we sit here, being kicked in the belly by our our next little pumpkin, mm-hmm. um, 25 weeks pregnant with another little boy. Awesome. So <clears throat> this story, though... Um, is not to say that surviving means getting what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, this makes me emotional because I never would have chosen to have three kids in three and a half years. Um, that was a lot, and mm-hmm. it was hard. Mm-hmm. And it still is hard, you know? They're little, and they're very needy, and I have these professional hopes and dreams and aspirations, and it's really hard to, you know, be the mom I want to be and mm-hmm. find, you know, that professional balance. And, um, so it's nothing, nothing in this life is, is perfect. You know, mm-hmm. it's not clean cut. It's not easy. It's not what we imagine mm-hmm. that it will look like, but it's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. I have this quote on my wall. It says, Life doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, it or, rarely. I don't. I have yet to encounter the person who had it all go their direction. Mm-hmm. And actually, generally, those people are not that interesting. <laughs> They're just not. They've. Not, they haven't really had to develop. I suppose I have run into people who think who have mapped it and it's gone mostly mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. They, those people generally don't have a. St- story to tell it's not relatable to most of the rest of us who are like what do you mean right <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. how to do it you just did all of it all like it all just fell into place right yeah. right you know and you I think that's a really uh, brave courageous point to bring up because I'm guessing I I also lost a baby mm-hmm. but I didn't lose six um and so I'm guessing that after repeated loss that there has to be some sort of internal conflict about feeling anything but gratitude. Yes, absolutely. And so I'm guessing that, uh, and your willingness to share that truth, because mm-hmm. of course that's true. Anybody yeah. who's raised little kids under, under five years yeah. old can relate to what you just yeah. said. I had three under five as well. I, I wouldn't wish that on yeah. any, it yeah. is so hard. It is it's so hard. It is hard in a really deep way. And then it gets actually, just so you know, it gets easy for a while. Yeah. But then it gets hard again because uh, they all are they all uh, become teenagers at the uh-huh. same time, uh-huh. and that is a different kind of hard. Uh-huh. So you'll have a sweet spot. Yeah. But no, there's nothing particularly pleasant about about that sort of intensity because that's yeah. what it is. It's just super intense. Right. All the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have these. I would say we're coming into that clearing mm-hmm. a little bit. We're yeah. two in school all day, and it's actually fun sometimes. Yeah. Like, a lot of the time, it's fun. Um, and one of ours has some special needs, so we've got appointments for OT and mm-hmm. just like I had three in diapers for a long time, and mm-hmm. and there's all these things that I maybe I would say are not ideal, quote unquote. But um, I just look back and I I see now, like we talked about at the beginning, coming out of this battle yeah. and seeing what was happening in the process, like. I was developing patience, which I would super need yeah. as a mom. And 
our marriage got so much stronger going through that in those early years that I just, I don't think we would have been forged together the way we were had we not gone through that. And we've gone through other battles now with, you know, some special needs and just different things where our marriage needs to be solid because we're not getting the quality time that, you know, we thought we would have as parents. And, um, so anyway, I, I decided to write my first book, not on the body image stuff, because, um, as we were going through the losses, I just learned that there were so many women feeling alone and feeling broken. Like their body was not working the way it was meant to. So they felt like a failure as a woman. And I was like, I have to speak truth into this because we're not failures as women. So I started writing this book, um, Bearing Hope, in the process of waiting for um, Annabelle to be born. I just kind of started scribbling. And then I ended up finishing, somehow, in the, the year after Calvin was born, I finished this book. Because I had started a support group for women and just all these stories just really inspired me. Mm-hmm. These weak, we all felt weak and we came together and it created this this beautiful, powerful strength mm-hmm. that we all left with. Yeah. And I feel like support groups are like manna in the desert for mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. because counseling is amazing and I 1000% believe in it. Yeah. But support groups like show you that you are not alone. You look around the room and you see stories that are like yours. They're not the exact same, but they're like yours. And you see them getting up every day and you can encourage one another when you don't want to get up that next day. And so anyway, I just was like, this, these are my people. I need to minister to these people. And we would do holy yoga through infertility and through loss. And um, so it's just, it was this really amazing culmination of I guess the season that I've been in the last few years I've seen the culmination of coming out of that eating disorder the holy yoga and then teaching the yoga and the the body issues that go into infertility and you know um an eating disorder I guess Sorry, it's hard for me to determine that. It's okay. I'm going through yeah. the same thing. So I, um, I have every hallmark of of a lifetime of an eating disorder taken different forms. There were mm. periods where it was definitely anorexic, but I never looked like an anorexic. Yeah. Because my body just doesn't respond that mm. same way. Um, but I've had I like I clearly had this pretty intense body dysmorphia in high school. Like I have mm-hmm. all the hallmarks of eating disorder. So I, um, I think that there is this tendency that we tend to have about, about anything um, that we're afraid to identify with. So, for example, I think we have an extreme version in our head of what an alcoholic looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's a person who's lost everything and is homeless and mm-hmm. is drinking out of a brown paper bag, which makes it really hard for us to be able to discern our own relationship with alcohol. Because if we're not that, we set up this dichotomous thing. I'm either okay or I'm that, yeah. right? I think we do the same thing with eating disorders. Yeah. I think uh, because we're not the most extreme version in treatment, uh, then it's easy for us to go, well, I'm, I don't have any, I never had an eating disorder. Yeah. Except it sounds based on the behavior yeah. that you elicited, for myself as well, the behavior yeah. I've elicited in my relationship with food, for me in different ways for most of my life, 
that is an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's very uncomfortable for me to say too, mm-hmm. so I can really relate to that where you go, Am I almost feel like I'm, I'm claiming something that I have no right to. Like, because mm. I haven't suffered that much. Right. Right? No, I have. I actually have. I suffered a ton in rela- in my relationship yes. with food. Yeah. A ton. A ton in relationship with my body. Yeah. Just because I didn't end up at 70 pounds and yeah. almost dead doesn't yes, mean that I exactly. wasn't suffering. Yes. I resonate ex- with what you're saying completely. And I think, um, I think it's really brave and really cool when people aren't afraid of labels and I'm becoming more and more yeah. that way as I get older. Yeah. Like my brother has schizophrenia. He has mental illness and so I've just gotten really comfortable with those terms and I'm yeah. like he's a person and I love him right. and this is hard and it's a battle and he is fighting for his life, you know, and mm-hmm. um and yet I'm not going to be afraid of speaking about these things, you right. know? And that's why I love your podcast and I love what you're doing because it is incredibly powerful to have people open up and share their stories and be brave and maybe put th- labels on things that right it, and recognize that it's okay I think so one of the lines that came to me early on in the creation of this project is that our collective stories heal us collectively yes so there is something, and I don't, it's sort of what you were talking about, about therapy being one thing, but this group dynamic being a different thing. There is some sort of like almost exponential increase in courage when you recognize your story in someone else. Yeah. And then it starts to give you permission to own yours, yes. right? So um, yes, I think that this idea of collective storytelling is exactly how we end up freeing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Label or no label, it allows us to tell the truth. Yes. Yeah. So, um, tell me what's... So you talked a little bit. I do want to spend just a moment here and then we'll start to wrap up. Um, you said a little bit about how difficult it is for you to find space for who you want to become professionally mm-hmm. now. So tell me kind of what you're doing with that. Like, where does that sit in you, and what are you doing with that as yeah. you get as you prepare to have the fourth child? Yeah. That's a great question. I'm doing a lot of wrestling yeah. with that and yeah. trying to hash it out with, with my counselor, with my husband, with close friends that, that know I have this passion for helping women and giving mm-hmm. women a voice and... Um, speaking and coaching and, and doing these things that I want to do, but then also feeling like it's a very needy season at home mm-hmm. where these little people just really need me and, mm-hmm. um, finding, yeah, finding good childcare and finding, ah, I just, I look at other women who do it and I ask them a hundred questions, you know, you know, where do you send your kids? What are you doing? And, um, so I've played around with a lot of different options right now. I have um, childcare set up one full day a week, mm-hmm. and that it's it's just not really enough. Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking about upping that to two. And then my little guy goes to preschool a couple of days a week, and I think babies sleep a lot. I can't remember because they were all there, and then I was like, it was a blur. So I'm like, this baby's gonna sleep a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna get some work done. Um, no, I'm just I'm trusting the Lord to lead me and. Mm-hmm. In what's next, and I'm just trying to take it a day at a time. Um, winter's hard for me, so I'm like, ah, fighting the winter blues, and I've got my phototherapy light. That's helping a ton, and so I'm like, okay, one day at a time, I'm just going to be brave. I'm going to get up. I'm going to lean into 
the things that I want to accomplish today. I'll make little to-do lists, try not to like overdo it with my ambition. Um, But then I'll also try to do some really intentional things at home, like read five books to each kid. Mm -hmm. Um, It's ideal when they like listen together and then it's like five and done, (laughs) but it doesn't always work that way. Um, But just little things like that or eat one meal together around the table, you know, Little things, I struggle domestically. It's it's not, I totally thought I would be way more like Joanna Gaines than yeah. I am. <laughs> not so much. Huh? I am not yeah. so much like her. So, um, yeah, I guess my little motto that I stole from a guy at Northwestern Mutual, Jimmy, is better every day. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be just a little bit better mm-hmm. today. And sometimes that looks a lot more on the domestic front, and some days it's, it's yeah. more on the professional front. Yeah. Giving yourself permission to not have to be remarkable at all of it all yes. of the time, too. Yep, and I take naps every day. That's a big part That's of my good. like mental health and physical health. And yeah, like I believe in in finding what works for you. Yeah, and some people might see naps as like weak. I'm like, I set my alarm for 15 minutes, and I'm a new woman. Yeah, it's magical. Yeah, <laughs> tell me what you think about how your body helped you survive today. Hmm. Do you see it differently? I know you went through a season of like that it felt feeling betrayed. By no, you. absolutely. Yeah. I am so proud of my body. Like I I'm so thankful that my body and mind and soul like have found a way to work together and love each other and um and walk in strength. I, I just I can't explain how polar opposite I view my body as I did when I was, yeah. you know, 125 pounds. Yep. I, I used to despise my body. Mm-hmm. And now I'm 25 weeks pregnant and I'm like... This is amazing. Gosh dang it. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I yeah. love I love my body. It's, it's carried two and a half children into this world. And we have six miracle babies in heaven. And... You know, I, I don't see that as my body failing me. I see it as the journey that I was supposed to take in this mm-hmm. life. And it was painful and it was hard, but I just know that it was for a reason. That's awesome. That's good. So somebody who's, so what message do you have for women who are surviving something right now? Mm-hmm. Um, any message at all, whether it's about their spirit or their body or all the things together, what do you want them to know about surviving? I want them to know that when you're surviving, it's okay if you're on a one breath at a time Mm -hmm. basis Mm -hmm. for survival. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe in deep breathing. Mm -hmm. (sighs) I need one right now. (laughs) I believe in the power of community, surrounding yourself with people who can believe things for you that you can't believe for yourself mm-hmm. in that pain. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in hope mm-hmm. and hold on to hope. And mm-hmm. like we talked about, it's not necessarily going to be hope that it turns out exactly the way you wanted, but hope that you will survive. Yeah. Hold on to hope that you will come out of this stronger, that you will continue fighting day in and day out and Mm -hmm. that you don't have to give up yeah there's tremendous power in that there is as there is in your story thank you for sharing Uh, it with my people today thanks for having me yeah thanks 
All right, friends, that's it for our time with Liv. I am so hopeful that you found something for yourself in her words. I loved the end when she said, hold out for hope. I'm a big believer in hope. Hold out for hope. I also really appreciate part of the way that she got there, that whole reflection about the importance of the community that she built around her. We live in this really confusing culture that tells us that we ought to be able to accomplish everything we need on our own. This whole sort of rugged individual, uh, I'm going to get to the finish line by myself. And while I understand the emphasis on effort, the older I get, the more I realize that everything good about the life that I have is good by way of the connections to the people around me. I adore the fact that Liv found a different kind of healing when she saw her own story reflected in the women around her. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we chose a storytelling collective, so that you could see your own truth modeled in the truths of the women who surround you. I think that we really are always better together, and part of the way we know that is to share our stories this way. If you loved today's episode, make sure that you subscribe to the pod or and or leave us a review. Reviews help other people get to us. As always, we are so grateful for you that you've chosen to lend your voice to this chorus of courage that will help us create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.